two. Uh, hello again, and welcome to the Hope Interrupted podcast. Again, I am Byron McCauley, your co-host, here with Jennifer Mooney, our host, and Jennifer. Oh my gosh, I've been looking so forward to our guest tonight. Yeah, absolutely, Byron. She um, she has some great stories to tell and has an amazing background, and I think everyone's going to find her interesting and you and I are a bit, bit fixated on health and wellness, and I know she can speak to that. Yes. And we talked a, a lot about health and wellness, Jennifer, in our book, Hope Interrupted, which is out there now on Amazon and some other local bookstores around the country. Um, and so I want to just go on right to it and introduce our, our guest. Her name is Joya. Wesley, and she is the author of the Easy Breezy Whole Foodie. That's a new book. Uh, and she's going to tell us a lot about her journey. I know a little bit about her journey because I've known Joya for probably the last three decades, full disclosure. Um, but we've been apart for a long time. And so it's wonderful to, to, to be, uh, be with you. Welcome, Joya. How are Thank you? Thank you. Thank you. I am wonderful. I am so grateful for this invitation. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining us. Now, Joya, you are a freelance writer and editor in addition to being the new author of The Easy Breezy Whole Foodie. You are an amateur gardener and you are the once and future manager uh, of your dad, your dad's band, Fred Wesley and the New JBs. And uh, for those of you don't know who don't know Fred Wesley, you, you can just Google him and then you'll see <laughs> uh, what a legend in uh, funk and jazz uh, music he is. Um, Joy, you're a minimalist currently living in Fairfield, California. And be before finding your way to Whole Foods, to the Whole Foods plant-based lifestyle that you now lead uh, and that and that you know, that's now sort of all you want to talk about, which is really cool. Uh, you grew up in Los Angeles. You had a, you earned a sociology degree from this, from Stanford University. And, and I know this in your, in your world, we were both in the same world. You worked for newspapers. I remember visiting in you in New York where you was, you were the national editor for the Associated Press. And one thing that I really want to talk about, too, is the fact that you did co-author another book, your first book, uh, about the Greensboro Truth and Community Recon Reconciliation Project, which was the first U.S. process modeled after South Africa's. Now, that is incredible. I, I can't wait till we talk a little bit about that. You can find Joya online at the easybreezywholefoodie.com. I want to ask Joya a question, which is probably the least interesting thing about her, but I, mm -hmm. I want to know this. So you're living a minimalist lifestyle, yes. and our book is very much um, about things that bring people hope and uh, meaning in their life, and I... I personally don't believe that it's stuff. <laughs> I kind of think stuff gets in the way. Can you maybe explain what it is to live a minimalist lifestyle? Because I'm a little locked in on that. I find it fascinating. Yeah, stuff is stressful. That's my philosophy. The more stuff you have, the more stress that's likely to follow it. Before I moved here to Fairfield, I was living in a tiny house in Texas. 
and I had pared down my belongings. And when I moved here, I, I did it in a rented SUV with four suitcases and a couple of boxes and an air mattress and um, a, a um, what else? A file box. So very, very minimal belongings. And it's been very freeing to get rid of all the stuff I was lugging around before that. And I really believe that other people, even to a small degree, can minimize their stress by maximizing their freedom by getting rid of as much stuff as possible because it piles up and it's it has to be worried about. The less stuff you have, the less stuff you have to worry about. It seems to me, I don't know if you're a parent, Byron and I both are with seven daughters between us and we didn't have them together. People sometimes, I know you know that, but people, people have actually asked us that. We say, That's no, funny. we have long suffering spouses who w still love us a lot and all that. But it seems to me that the generation I'm in, and I'm going to be 58 in a couple of weeks, we were all about acquiring stuff. And my children who were in their late twenties, seem to me much less focus on stuff. Have you noted any generational things about stuff? I think so. And I don't have any children, I should say. I don't know nothing about birthing no babies. <laughs> 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 so I cannot speak to families and having families worth of stuff. So I, I think... I think maybe, maybe, Jennifer, your um, observation is accurate. I, I don't, I haven't paid attention to that, but I, I actually, yeah, older people, I know a lot of older people. My mom, for example, had a lot more accumulation of stuff than people in my generation. I'm going to be 55 this month and people younger than me, I think are less likely to accumulate as much junk <laughs> but but young people still are doing a lot of accumulating i do see that in my nieces and my my friends children more than i would recommend <laughs> if they were to ask me but they don't and i don't offer that information unless they ask me you know you know joya jennifer just moved uh, across the country permanently to um to new mexico from cincinnati yes. And I know, Jennifer, you had a lot of boxes that you um, hauled there. And a lot of them were books, of course, which is fine, right? We got to have our books. Um, but I'm just interested, too, in that the whole um, conversation around stuff. I know that I have 20 years of boxes that I've moved to, to various houses. Uh, for various reasons, I'm not. I'm not one who holds on to things, um, but you know, there are things that I still have and that my family has that we continue to hold on to. And one of the tragic things is when a loved one leaves us, and we have to go through that stuff, and we're the ones who are left to sort of cleanse everything. It's and I don't want to belabor this show about stuff because because Joya is so interesting and this is just one small part of that. But I do think um, we did recently 
we've downsized three times, but this is the final time. We are in our final resting place, which it may sound morbid to say, but we are, <laughs> and in a lot less space than we had before. And you're right. It is liberating, but families try to thrust a lot on each other. It's don't you want your grandmother's china? And, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, there are things like family photographs that obviously you want to keep, but, um, but it can start to control you in a way that is not altogether healthy. And, and speaking of books, Byron, you're talking about books. I, I love books. I am a book lover. I'm a reader. But I paired my books down to one box and I keep it at one box. And I've, I bought y'all's book on Kindle and I read a lot of electronic books. I utilize the library. I check out books. I read them. I take them back so someone else can monitor them and dust them wow. and take care of them. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's the strategy that I've used. And I I um. I don't want to say that about books, yeah, especially because my book, my, my book as a minimalist boils down a lot of information from a lot of books to prevent people from having to go by the 12, 15 books I read <laughs> in order yeah. to garner yeah. the information that I put into my little booklet, which is little and just 50 pages. So I, I want it to be something that people can stick in their, in their gig bags and their purses yeah. and read on the road and, not have to make it be a part of their piles of stuff. Right. So let's dive into that book, Joya, because, you know, even the title is intriguing to me. Yeah. Uh, as someone who I know has struggled with health and weight issues for much of my life, I've gone up and down. Uh, I am, I'm currently in sort of a downswing uh, that, that I've, that I'm seeking, but, can you just talk to us about like how did you yeah. decide to write the easy breezy whole foodie and what is it? It's yeah, that um weight lifelong weight struggle is something we had in common. I think it was a point of connection between us when we first met back in the eighties, nineties, I guess it was the eighties. <laughs> it was the eighties. The very the end 80s. of the eighties. Yeah. Cause I yeah. started in Greensboro. This was in Greensboro, North Carolina at yeah. the news and record, the newspaper there. Um, I started in 1988 as an intern and you arrived there. What, within a year, within that yeah. year, the next actually, year, you know what, Joya, it was 1988. Uh -huh. So it was 88. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that year. same year. Yeah. In the same year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I was, in I was business, you were in features. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had several stints there. I started out as an intern at the very beginning before you got there in the months before you got there. And then yeah. I was in features. I worked with the, um, people and places section. And yeah. I remember thinking that that was fluffy and I was too good a journalist for that at the time. <laughs> and then later. And, and you were. Ah, that's funny. But later when I went to the work for the Associated Press and I was doing more serious news, I missed it a lot. I was like, I liked the people and places. It was I fun. People were glad to see me coming and they didn't hate me when I left and they kept my clips and framed them and gave me gifts. <laughs> it was really yes. 
a fun version of journalism that I missed after I got into more serious journalism when I had to ask people hard questions about things they did not want to talk about. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, but at that time, like before, from, from 11 years old, I, I, I had my book launch party last week. And the first picture, going back through my school pictures, the first picture that I could tell I was starting to have a weight problem was 11 years old. So from then up until two years ago, I was struggling. I was anything but an easy breezy whole foodie. I was a, I was a foodie. I loved food, but I was obsessed with losing weight. I was obsessed with what I ate. My sister told me at one point she didn't want to talk to me because all I ever wanted to talk about was what I was eating, what I wasn't going to eat, <laughs> what, I, what I didn't eat, what I did eat. And so that was my life. And it was kind of nightmarish. And despite all that focus on food and dieting, I was a size 16 or above. I got up, my top, top weight was 328 pounds. And I wore a size 28 to my girlfriend's wedding. And Milwaukee in 1991. So that was the biggest. But then I got down uh, more than 100 pounds below that. So I was proud of that for the next 30 years. I, I wasn't where I wanted to be, but I wasn't where I had been. But I was still obsessed and I was still uncomfortably focused on food. Do you think, I have a question about this. This is yes. fascinating to me because and Byron doesn't know this about me, and I don't talk about it in the book, so this is breaking news. Okay. I, I, I've had lifelong food obsessions, too, that I think reside in my family. And I used to joke, I'm at a healthy weight, and I'm in good shape and all right now, but I used to joke that for the amount of time I talk and think about food, I should be a lot thinner, you know, for the, the amount of time spent on it. Um, right. Do you Do you think... I mean, do you think there is a familial, familial, that's a hard word to say, connection in Definitely. how we deal with food? And kind of talk about that a little, because I, I find this a fascinating subject. Yeah, definitely there is. My, I grew up in Los Angeles, as Byron said. My parents are from Alabama, the home of Koneka sausage and other greasy treats <laughs> like fried fish. They were from the, um, the, the Gulf Coast. Mobile, Alabama, where Byron worked for a while, and I got to reconnect with you there briefly. That was very exciting to me when you were a columnist in Mobile, my parents' hometown. Um, so they grew up eating greasy food, and my dad, more than my mom, had a weight problem from childhood and his whole life. He's been... Um, um, noticeably round all of his life. He has started a Whole Foods lifestyle since I have, this January, in fact, and has dropped 50 pounds and is on his way down. He's going to be a little guy and people are not going to recognize him <laughs> very soon. But he was dieting when he was in Los Angeles and my mother was in Los Angeles. I remember them going to a clinic where they were getting some kind of shots that I, I don't know if I remember this right and my sister remembered it right, but something about rabbit urine or something, <laughs> some kind of weight loss shots that they had to go to this clinic regularly. So my parents were focused on it from my childhood. So then when I started gaining weight, I was focused on it too. So there is that. I think there may also be some genetic 
elements to it. But one of my um, Whole Foods heroes is Eric Adams, who's the borough president of Brooklyn. And he started a Whole Foods plant-based diet and reversed his own diabetes and reversed his 80-year-old mother's diabetes with the same lifestyle. And he quips that it wasn't in our DNA. It was in our dinner. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. That's a great quote. It's a great quote. Yeah. Yeah, his family, he talked about going to a family reunion with his mom and she forgot her diabetes medicine and they were all, oh no, forgot the diabetes medicine, that's a terrible thing. And all their aunts and uncles and cousins were like, oh, that's okay, what are you taking, metformin? I'm taking it too, you can have some of mine. Everybody had the same, <laughs> the same disease and the same oh, drugs, so they all were passing it around. But it wasn't their DNA, it was their dinner, it was what they were eating at the reunion in, in their homes. So it's amazing that you go ahead, Jennifer. All I was going to ask is, I know this is hard to do because you just wrote a book on it and people do this, this all all the time. Well, you know, what's hope interrupted mean and blah, blah, blah. When you talk about your, your, the easy breezy, um, food plan, whole food plan, what it's kind of explain it. So our audience understands what it means. Yeah. It is is easy breezy. It's the whole food plant-based lifestyle. It's um, the lifestyle promoted in the documentary Forks Over Knives, you may have heard of, by doctors, including Joel Furman, who wrote a book called Eat to Live decades ago and has since written several books with the same message. There's other authors, including John McDougall, who wrote a book called The Starch Solution Diet. And um, a Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who's at the Cleveland Clinic, who wrote Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. So the basic premise and the the lifestyle I live is a diet, a, a, a way of eating that removes all animal products. That includes meat, dairy, fish, eggs, and all processed foods. And that includes sugar, oil, and salt. So... It's simple. It could not be more simple. It it is it is not um, an easy thing to jump. It can be an easy thing to jump into, and my, that my book <laughs> promotes an easy way. Because the the other part of the story is that these foods, the animal products and the processed foods, are addictive, and we're all addicted to them. And then once you break the addiction, which is a process that takes less than twelve weeks you're free of them and you can eat whole foods without it being a big drama. I thought I would be sad when I um, stopped eating butter and I was, (laughs) (laughs) but I read another book that is one of the key texts that I refer to in the Easy Breezy Whole Foodie called The Pleasure Trap. And it explains how our biology is designed for us to seek out the highest um, the richest foods, the sweetest and highest fat foods so that we could survive back when we were evolving and we wanted our genes to make it into the next generation. That didn't happen if you were eating greens and um, berries only. <laughs> if you ran into um, some meat or some really high sugar fruits, you should eat that, a lot of that. So you're designed to want a lot of that so that you can survive and then you can live to reproduce. And sex is the same way. So we're designed to desire, have a strong desire for rich foods and sex. So that's how we keep 
evolving and moving into the next generation. But times have changed. As you know, we're not running around trying to find berries to survive. We have Snicker bars and McDonald's on every corner. So that biological predilection is not serving us anymore. So we're still seeking out the most rich foods we can find, but that's a bad thing because we can find a lot of rich food enough to make us very unhealthy and very overweight. So your taste buds get accustomed to these rich foods. And when you abstain from them, this is a addiction breaking model. That's the same as breaking addiction to alcohol or drugs. You abstain completely from the, rich foods that overexcite your taste buds and create a dopamine response in your brain. Abstain from those completely, completely is the key word for 12 weeks. Then the addiction is broken and you're not seeking those out anymore. And you can get your taste buds back in the right minds. You get yourself back in your right mind and you can eat to nourish yourself. You can seek nutritional excellence is the term that Dr. Furman uses. So you're eating foods to nourish yourself, not to entertain yourself and, and create a dopamine response in your brain like a drug addict, which is what most of us essentially are when we're eating these addictive foods. Do you think... Um... And this has just been something I've really wondered about. Um, and I, I'm saying this with one daughter who who's lived overseas for quite a long time. Do you think in the States, I mean, there's a lot of talk about what's done to food here um, that does make it more addictive, whether it's things that are done for larger yields of uh, larger yield of wheat or things that happen in the factory. Is that a real thing? It is a real thing. And the foods that we're, that we're accustomed to eating are engineered to be addictive and maximally addictive. So it's not our fault that we're addicted to them. And it's not just that. That is a big part of the picture. But recognizing that our foods are engineered to be addictive. So when we get addicted, is not because we were trying to do that or we were weak or we had a bad childhood. <laughs> um it's because the the food industry, big food, I'd like to say, is the big behemoth, which is great friends with big pharma who work hand in hand. So you get addicted, you get sick, you get diabetes, you get heart disease, you get arthritis, you get autoimmune diseases, all kinds of health problems follow from the sad diet, the standard American diet. And then big pharma cleans up with the drugs they sell you to um, correct these illnesses that big food caused you to have. This is such a fascinating conversation, Joya. I'm so thrilled that you have discovered um, a, a healthy way of living that works and that you've seen it works. And I wish our, our uh, listeners could see you because you're glowing. I mean, your skin is so, um, so terrific right now. It's, it's, it's clear. Um, and you look healthy. And so I can imagine how you're feeling at this point. How have you sustained, you talk about the addiction, right? But I know there must be some weak moments sometimes. Well, no, actually the, once the addiction is broken, there's not, it's not a struggle anymore. That's the easy breezy part. And I, I like to say God tricked me into this lifestyle because I never would have purposely given up butter. <laughs> I love butter. 
but I knew I had done 38 different diets over my life. I counted them. So I had gotten way off track. So I was kind of struggling, doing that struggle, trying to stay strong and stay um, reasonably within a reasonable parameters with what I was eating on a day-to-day basis. But I had gotten out of that. I was off the rails and was eating all kinds of stuff. I went to, um, I talk about how with my job, traveling with my dad around the world as his manager, fabulous meals were part of the deal. So we were always going somewhere fabulous and eating something fabulous. And in December of 2019, which was the, um, the grand finale of my sad life, my standard American diet life. We went to Duke University for a residency. So we were in Durham, North Carolina for four days. And our host there, uh, who's a wonderful musician and an educator, was also a foodie and wanted to show off all of his um, town's culinary points of pride. And there were a lot of them. And he knew my dad to be a a foodie and a big guy. And my dad, one of the funny things about him is he got older, he was not able to eat as much as he used to as a younger man. So he he had already reduced his food intake just kind of naturally. His body was like, okay, dude, that's enough. I can't, I can't do it anymore. All the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> it, no more barbecue, no more fried chicken. Or at no least not that, as much, not as thing. much. Come on, so cut it down, please. So he couldn't eat as much. So I felt compelled to pick up the slack. <laughs> pick up the slack. And, and Joya, in Durham, where people don't understand Durham, yeah. The the foodie culture in Durham is spectacular. It is. It is it southern, is. but it's also it well, it's southern sophisticated, it's, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's southern yeah. sophistication because yeah. a lot of a lot of um African people settled there and 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 grew generations there. Yeah. So you so have we had some sophisticated all the restaurants. Yeah. So we were eating. So I, I was trying to pick up the slack because my dad couldn't eat that much. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, I'm not hungry. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, so I ate give those it crazy four days. Yeah. And then we went to London and we had a residency there at the <laughs> Ronnie Scott's and the hotel had a traditional English breakfast. Um, so I was just way out of control. And my sister came. My sister didn't usually come, but she came with us. And we went to breakfast and she was eating pastries. Usually I didn't eat pastries, but she was eating pastries. So I was like, I'll eat pastries too. So I was eating pastries. I got back to LA. I could kept eating pastries. I was eating apple fritters from donut shops. And then I went to this fancy Christmas dinner I got invited to and ate, ate, ate. And I was just totally out of control. And I was like, okay what am I going to do? I have to do something drastic now or else I'm going to die. <laughs> how many, so how many years ago was this that you just said, this what you just said finished? This was 2019. So at the end of the year, December, 2019. So I decided I would go on the rice diet because I remembered the rice diet, which was also, um, developed at Duke University, coincidentally, by a guy named Dr. Walter Kempner, who back in the days in the 40s and 50s, when there were not um, medications for hypertension, was curing people's hypertension. Dr. John McDougall calls him the father of lifestyle medicine. So he put people on a diet of rice and fruit, essentially, and no salt. And it cooled out your taste buds so that you could 
be cool <laughs> for a while. <laughs> so I was going to do that for a while and try to reset my taste buds and then go back to the struggle with that I was in. But while I was doing this rice diet and my, my blood pressure dropped, my weight started to drop, I discovered Dr. McDougal and his starch solution diet and the Pleasure Trap book, a, a YouTuber named Plantiful Kiki introduced me to both. So I was doing this rice diet. I was seeing the great results. And then I found out, okay, this is a lifestyle that people do for life. And I could do this too. So since I was already doing it, I could hear Dr. McDougal's message, which I would not have been able to hear back when I say back when my ears were clogged with butter. <laughs> I would have bristled and shut down. He said things like the fat you eat is the fat you wear. I'm um, like, yeah, well, forget you, you skinny white man. <laughs> Who are you to talk about wearing fat? You don't, you don't know anything about it, about me or my life. And right, um, right. he would say other things like, um, it's the food, it's the food, it's the food. And people wondered, why am I overweight and unhappy and unhealthy? So all these sayings and all his, his tone, he's a crotchety old man, <laughs> just, to, just to be true about it. And... I wouldn't have been able to hear that at all if I hadn't been in the headspace I was in. But since I was, I was able to hear it and I was able to accept it and explore it further. So I have a question. Our, our audience may know this or not. I think we've mentioned it, that we're in a virtual studio now and we can all see one another. And I see my friend Byron and he has a cocktail. So... What I would like to know, he's swirling his cocktail. I'm drinking, <laughs> wa what that was. <laughs> I'm drinking water, but it's earlier here. But I, mm. I'll have a cocktail in a while. Talk to us about um, your philosophy on alcohol. Yeah, I don't really have a philosophy. Um, alcohol is vegan. I'm vegan now, and it's fine. I, I'm not... Uh, just to keep me from being maximally unpopular. <laughs> I don't talk bad about alcohol. <laughs> but a lot of Whole Foods people don't drink alcohol, but some do. So it's a, it's a personal choice. So I have enough bad news. <laughs> you can't have butter. I was Thank ruining you. a woman's Greek yogurt for her the other day, and I felt bad. So, yeah, it's not a popular message in general, so I'm not going to add to the unpopularity by talking about alcohol. <laughs> so enjoy your cocktail. Thank you. Thank you. It's mostly, it's mostly, mostly club soda. Okay. And then, that is Jennifer's influence. It's probably three-fourths club soda and a little okay. bit of something else. In an okay. orange, you know, right? <laughs> but, so, so that's that's it. So that's, that's yeah, a little something else. Okay. Um, I I I, I want to ask this question. Let's. So what's the fun part of the night? Like, I'm not going to say the fun part because it's a lifestyle, but like, I don't know, two really great recipes. I saw you make some curry something or other on, online, and I was trying to figure that one out because I want to make that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I I don't do recipes, so I'm not the one to go to for recipes. And I, I have a thing that, that I have seven steps in the book, and one of them is find your groove, where you learn just how to navigate the world as a whole fruity. And the next, the last one is to find your fancy, which is where you uh -huh. find fancy recipes and people to help you create new versions of your old favorites. But my point is that you don't want to start there because that's 
frustrating and it's not going to work. <laughs> They're not going to taste as good. Once you take the sugar, oil, and salt out, <laughs> nothing you do will taste as good as the your favorites with the sugar, oil, or salt. And trying to seek that in the beginning is just going to make you crazy and disappointed. I have a um, friend who was I was trying to help her understand that you have to break the addiction first before you can start trying to get fancy. I mean, the best way to do it. Otherwise you're just, it's a recipe for frustration. Sure. But, but I, I have found, and this is something you can have in the beginning, I think is a, a vegan mayo made with um, sunflower seeds and a high speed blender. So it has sunflower seeds of cooked potato, a small cooked potato, some mustard, some vinegar, some garlic, and you just whir that together and it makes a creamy sauce that, that works as a mayo, it works as a pasta sauce, works as a dip. I, I can use it on a lot of things and I think it's really delicious. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'll try that, then. I'll try that and, and work yeah. with you. You can do olive oil, right? No. Oil <laughs> oil is a highly processed food and that's one of the that's one of the um, misconceptions that people have that olive oil is healthy. Any right. kind of oil is not healthy. It's very processed. God did not make oil. God made olives. And his plan was for you to have an olive's worth of oil at a time. Mm -hmm. So with the fiber and the other phytonutrients in the olive, but man, big food, Snakey, who I call it, I call it, I created a character <laughs> named Snakey. Snakey. Smash the oils out of healthy whole foods. Mm -hmm. And then we take those oils. Uh, Chef AJ, who's one of my gurus, who has a YouTube with a lot of wonderful recipes, too. I would recommend checking her out. Said oil is for cars. <laughs> it's not okay. for human beings. Okay. It damages your blood vessels. It creates that addictive process in your in your taste buds and your, your dopamine receptors in your brain. Wow. Yes. And wow. that's bad news for a lot of people. No butter, no olive oil, no co coconut oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is all fascinating. I wish we had a, a ton more time to talk about this because it's yeah. so fascinating. Um, I, 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 I want to encourage people to um, to get your book. Where can, where can we find it? Well, you can find it at my website, easybreezywholefoodie.com, and I'll send you an autographed copy. I sent you one. <laughs> Thank you for ordering it. And you can also find it on Amazon. And from the website, you can get to the Amazon page and where you can get a Kindle copy that you can access immediately and become right. an Easy Breezy Whole Foodie immediately. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, I know you you had something on the tip of your tongue, and I want I want to make sure I get that. Well, the um, Byron, do we want to move into the hopeful moment now, or would you like to keep talking? I want to talk. I want to keep talking to, to to Joya because I there's one thing that that I would love to for her to talk a little bit about, and we and you know aside from the fact that Joya um, has written this book, we can't let you go, Joya, without talking about your. Um, really amazing legendary father who ought to be in the uh, rock and roll hall of fame. Um, his name is Fred Wesley and you're the best person to tell us about it. Cause you've, you've been going around the world with him for the last, what, 15 years, Toya as his manager. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. We, I, I had a little bit of um, joy interrupted by the 
the pandemic. But <laughs> it was 12 years before that. And now we're two years after that, I think, or a year. So, yeah, it's coming up. It's almost 15 years. It's been mm-hmm. it's been amazing. It's really been a wonderful opportunity. So he was born in Mobile, Alabama, which is a very musical town. His dad was a musician, had a big band. And he was a big jazz fan, kind of a jazz snob. <laughs> but a yes. friend, a friend who, with whom he used to play in a circus, a local circus, a regional circus, got him a gig with James Brown. And he kind of snobbily didn't really want to do that because he thought it was silly music and he jazz wanted to purist. be. He was a purist, yeah. But. Yes, he plays trombone. So he took the gig and it was a wonderful thing. His first recording with James Brown was Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. His friend Pee Wee Ellis was the band leader at that time. And he had a song, a big song, which which people say is the beginning of funk called Cold Sweat. So my dad, before he joined James Brown, had a band in um, Huntsville, Alabama, where I was born because he was in the army at the Redstone Arsenal Army Base and his band his band wanted to play Cold Sweat and my dad didn't want to play it because he thought it was silly. So the band ended up breaking up. He said, y'all are all fired and plus I quit. (laughs) 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 So later he gets with James Brown. He plays Cold Sweat. He comes to love Cold Sweat. Pee Wee gets tired. He's also a jazz purist. He retires. I mean, he leaves the band. And Fred ends up being the band leader. So during what I like to call James Brown's funkiest years, my father was composer, arranger, and band leader. He did hits like um, Big Payback. It's probably the biggest known hit that he wrote and arranged and orchestrated. So... I might um, play that every day. I'm not. I'm not gonna admit to that, but I might. Yeah, play that every single day. It's great. It's the. It is the bomb still. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And after, after a lot of it happened time. in Cincinnati, Ohio. By the way, a king. That's record. true. That is true. And that's where James found Bootsy, and my dad did songs with Bootsy, including um, "Soul Power." That's another one of the big right. hits that. So they they overlapped briefly with James Brown's soul power. That's right. And then after my dad's tenure with James was coming to an end, Bootsy, who had promised to come back and get Fred, came and got him and asked him to join the funk mob, the P-funk mob, Bootsy's rubber band and Parliament Funkadelic. So my dad was also instrumental in that music and wrote a lot of horn arrangements for a lot of P-funk classics, including um, Make My Funk the P-funk. <laughs> so he oh has a righteously well-earned um, reputation as a funk legend, one of the architects yeah, of funk. He and Pee Wee and James Brown and George Clinton and Bootsy, they're all part of a cadre of funk architects. So he has he has had his own band for 30 years and was traveling with them. And I got to jump on board that bandwagon and travel with them. Has anyone has anyone written your dad's story? My dad wrote a beautiful memoir called Hit Me Fred. Recollections oh, oh. of a Sideman. Yes, wow. and that's available on Kindle, too. And you can get it through his web- website, funkyfredwesley.com. 
So he's a, he's an awesome storyteller. I used to think I was the writer in the family when that book came out in 2002. It's like, I thought I was the writer in the family. Wait a minute. But he's such a great storyteller. He's so funny. He's hilarious. And the book is awesome. It's hilarious. The whole the whole book is really funny. And he tells of his time with James Brown and um, P-Funk. And he later played with Count Basie's orchestra. He almost yeah. starved to death because that jazz purism does not make much money. <laughs> so what's that book again that Fred wrote one more time? Because a lot of people Hit, have not seen it. It's called Hit Me Fred, Recollections yeah. of a Sideman. It was put out by Duke University Press. Back to Duke again. <laughs> Duke keeps showing back up. It's a wonderful university. I'm a supporter. Great yeah. university. It's a great university. It is. And a great university press, too, with a lot of great music titles, including my dad's. Hit me, Fred. Recollections of a side man. Well, I'm a huge reader. One of the best things about being a writer now is I can say I'm in that gang of people who write. Um, I spend I spend a ridiculous amount of time reading. So, between your book and your dad's, and I'm a, I have 1,200 books on my Kindle. I've had I've had a Kindle since the early days, but I have huge power in the fact that I can walk around with a library. <laughs> yep, I can too as a minimalist, and I love that. <laughs> well, what a wonderful conversation this is! Oh my gosh, I wish I, I wish we had more time. We are reaching a point where we need to to wrap up, and boy, do not this is just a great conversation. Uh, but we do. And thank you, Joya, so much for being with us. I know when we the way we end this, Joya, is that we always uh, take a moment to have a hopeful moment, which which really recounts something that we've read about or seen or heard, and we relay it to our audience. So, man, this has been a hopeful uh, conversation. Yay. Thank you so much have, for having me. Yeah. So Jennifer has is going to do our hopeful moment tonight. So my hopeful moment is a little personal. It does tie into our book. It does tie into being a vegan. So here's the deal. My daughter, Nora, who is going to be 28 also in July. I know the three of us, Byron, Joy, and Jennifer, all have birthdays in July. Um, Nora, you're, the, you're July 22nd, Joy, and my daughter, Nora, is July 23rd. So you guys are right on the cusp of, uh, I guess you're Leo's, but you were almost cancers like Byron and me. But my daughter, Nora, and her husband are vegans, and they live in Berlin. And the last time we saw them, and this is all in the book, was the uh, fall before COVID and have not seen them since. And they went off and got married during COVID, and their parents were not there. And um, this this is in the book because I struggled with it quite a bit. Byron, they are coming to the States in Yay. August. Yay! And, and the vegans will take over my kitchen once again. <laughs> yes. They use more bowls and pots and pans and ingredients. And their favorite thing to do is to go to grocery stores that are different than the ones they have in Europe. But my hopeful moment is... I finally get to see my get to see my daughter and joy at least for a few weeks I'll be forced to be a vegan. So wonderful. <laughs> Maybe that's a good wonderful. time for me to start your eating plan. 
Absolutely. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it's not mine, cool. I should say. I did not make this right. up. I just was fortunate enough to fall into it and to be able to spread the word in a, in a minimal way to hopefully make an on-ramp into it, the lifestyle for other people. As a messenger, we're happy to give you a lot of credit for it because if the words are there but no one's talking about them, then they don't count for much. So good for you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I Thank wait, you. I can't wait to get my copy, Joya, and I can't wait to start uh, right. because I'm looking at you and I know you and I see it. Like, it's Yay. true. So once again, Thank Joya... You author of the Easy Breezy Whole Foodie. Thank you so much, Joya, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your book and your podcast. Absolutely. We're going to say goodbye. Um, Starscream the Giant is going to take us out. He is my godson. I say that every time because <laughs> I love him and he's a genius. So uh, he's taking us out and we'll see you next week.